when you are in a situation of displacement, you realize that actually you are you're, you're getting your food by miracle. You know, each day is by the day. You know, it, it's today. Okay, we've we've survived for the day. Uh, we don't know what will happen tomorrow, but our Father in heaven will provide. For three months, we were there, completely reliant on our Father in heaven to provide for us day by day. Welcome to Conversations, the Tier Fund podcast connecting global voices to local issues. It is so, so good to have you back here for episode three. We have a really exciting interview and obviously I have a very exciting co-host with me today. Hello, Chris. How are you? Hello. I am wonderful. Good. Well, listen, tell us a bit about what this episode is going to be about. So we have the privilege of speaking to our colleague Heb Davi, who's the company mm-hmm. director in the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo. But Gemma, I thought first of all, I just I just quizzed you. Yeah. Uh, maybe please. quiz our listeners about some facts, some DRC facts, <laughs> uh, and just see how well you have brushed up in advance of this interview. Right. Okay. I'm concerned that maybe you haven't. So this is this will bring that to light. Well, um, hang on just a second here. So what's the prize then if I get, like how many answers do you get right to win a prize? That kind of thing, Chris. Uh, I think kudos ah. is probably the main prize. Right. Okay. Okay. That's fine. I'll take it. Yeah. Okay. Let's you, have, you happy to play for kudos? Yeah. I'll do it. <laughs> okay. True or false? There are over 400 languages and dialects spoken in the DRC. I know it's a lot, but I don't think it's 400, so I'm going to say false. False, that's correct. There's nearly 250. So there's over 200 ethnic groups make up the modern nation of the Democratic Republic of Congo. Wow. And within that, there's nearly 250 dialects. Amazing. This isn't a question, but I find this fascinating. So Kinshasa, the capital, Mm -hmm. is the second largest French-speaking city in the world. That is incredible. So I'm assuming it's second to Paris, right? I assume so. That is very impressive also. I'm loving this. Okay. True or false? Mm. The DRC is the largest country in Africa. Oh, goodness. No, false. No, hang on. No, it is it is big. Okay, no, true, true. False. Ah. It is the second largest second country in largest. Africa. Okay, and what's, so, the, what's the first? I mean, you're, I'm quizzing you, Gemma. You're I'm not sorry, quizzing sorry, me. Sorry, sorry, right. Yeah, no, I don't want to <laughs> Maybe my research team will uh, <laughs> communicate that to me during the interview. Yeah. Yeah, so it's a massive country. It and is. We'll hear from him later on. That makes an impact on the work of Tear Fund. Mm. Um, okay, Gemma, we're going to talk about population now. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you three figures of population. I want you to give me the uh, the most, uh, uh, the closest one. <clears throat> so, is the population 81 million, 94 million? or 119 million people. Chris, why are you not sort of nodding at me or giving me like looks on the camera so that you can help me with this? Because um, I have I have integrity, Gemma. <laughs> um, oh, um, it's just, I mean, I know that like some areas are very densely populated and I think Davi will tell us about that where he lives. So we'll do 119? Incorrect. 81.5 million, according to... The BBC, there's still a lot of people. And again, uh, there's a lot of need within that. Okay, well, now that you've shown me up for my ignorance, particularly on figure, like numbers are just not my thing, Chris. And it's obviously worth saying that the church in Northern Ireland has had a long history of engagement with Tear Fund's work in the DRC. And some people listening may remember Bob and Alma McAllister. 
Others will remember their son, David, who was actually Tier Fund's country director in the DRC for a number of years and actually very recently returned to Northern Ireland. So some of you may have been at events, you may know David, you may have read stuff that he's written. And um, so it's a really special link to be making today. It is. And David now still works for Tier Fund, is a Tier Fund advocate and uh, enjoys uh, sharing the stories that come from places like the DRC. And it's a real privilege um, to have him on our team still. It certainly is. And so after this jingle break, let's go straight into meeting his successor in the DRC, our country director, Hadavi Mahindo. So it is so wonderful to have Habdavi Muhindo uh, with us on the call this afternoon. Habdavi has worked for Tier Fund for, uh, we tried to work out, and it's at least five years, possibly longer, uh, and is currently company director for Tier Fund in the DRC. Um, Habdavi and the DRC have had a long history of connection with us in Northern Ireland, so it's a real privilege to, uh, to connect with him this afternoon. And I know that uh, what we share together is going to be a blessing for those of you who are listening. Ebdavi, the last time I heard you speak was in staff prayers and you spoke about the importance of date night. Uh, and that's going to be something that will connect with uh, church leaders up and down Northern Ireland, uh, the balance of work life and family life. Can you just tell us what is your favourite date night? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very interesting, you know, in the busyness of everything and and, and uh, while you're trying to take care of, of everything. And I think it's it's the same with faith leaders um, and the same with uh, with people like us who are in the front line of humanitarian work and development work overseas. Um, there is so much to do and it never gets finished. There is always something else needing to be done. And um, for a good number of us, we are very passionate about what we are doing. So we put our heart and mind into it and and sometimes we, we just get swallowed by everything that, that we are doing that we may end up forgetting important things, uh, important things like date night. Um, so um, we've, we've agreed with my wife, you know, we have uh, we must have date night every two weeks where we can actually switch off and just be us. Uh, you know, uh, we love our kids, but, you know, forget about the kids a little bit um, and then just put everything aside and put the very important work I'm doing aside and, and, and all that and just focus on each other. Because uh, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing because I've got her support and because our marriage is working and our children are, you know, our children are right. Uh, it's the first ministry before I go to minister to anybody else. I got to minister to my family, my immediate family, and my wife is a big part of that. So just having that opportunity to catch up and just uh, feel loved again. And what is it? What's your favorite thing to do? Is it a, is it a, a movie on the TV is a dinner out or dinner in. Yeah, my favorite is um, is uh, going to a nice restaurant, uh, just relaxing and, and chatting, and then after the dinner, uh, just being together and taking a walk. Uh, now I have to warn you that in in my country in in Goma you don't ch- just take a walk in in the evening, um, so because uh, you know there will be trouble. So you have to choose a place where you, you know, you can walk where it's actually safe to walk within, you know, in a compound that has security and everything. But somewhere you can just walk and, and enjoy the, the evening, breathe. Ebdavi, you've given us a wee bit of a wonderful insight into family life. Can you tell us a bit about you? Um, where are you calling from right now? Where is home? Um, and even just maybe a 30-second summary of, of life in DRC. Yeah, so I'm, I'm Hebdavi, Hebdavi uh, Mohindo, as, as has been mentioned. Um, I'm currently the country director uh, for Tier Fund in the DRC. 
but I'm also married uh, to Dauphine, and we have three beautiful children. Um, I live in Goma. Um, Goma is uh, a city in Eastern DRC. Uh, it's, it's a wonderful city. It's the city I call my home. The climate is great. We are always around 25 degrees Celsius. Um, it's a beautiful place. Uh, we have a wonderful lake. Um, and it's, it's just great. We, we have a volcano. Sometimes it causes us trouble when, when it's uh, erupting. But when it's not erupt, erupting, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And, and I love being here. Um, and, and I thank God for, for the fact that he, he put me here uh, at such a time as this to be in, in this city. So of course, Tedavi, we talked about how beautiful the country is, um, but you know better than many that it's also been associated with conflict for a number of decades. Um, and that conflict has often been invisible or unknown to us uh, who live in the UK. So can you describe the conflict a little bit, the context of it, um, but also share with us about how living with that has shaped your life and maybe even your faith? Yeah, um, it's it's interesting that the DRC has actually faced, like you said, it's decades of, of conflict. Um, the, the conflict started long ago and there were pockets of, of issues here and there. And then from around 94, around 93, 94, and even when we got to 96, there was full on, there, had, there was like full on war, like war broke out, you know. I forget about pockets of conflict here and, and here and there. And I think... From, from that time, from around 96, uh, the war that started around that time or a little bit earlier than 96, it's been going on. It's not stopped. So this has been years and years. Uh, now, from, we are in, 2000, in 2021, uh, from 1996, that's, I think, more than 25 years or something like that of conflict, which means there are children who have been born and all they know is living in war. Now, I think um, when the, the, the issues in DRC started back in the days, um, it had a little bit of more, it had a little bit more attention. You know, people who talk about it, they will say, you know, there is this, this is happening in DRC. But I think over the years, uh, probably people got tired of, of all this DRC mess. So it's, it's like it's no longer news. It's become almost as if it's normal. Like when they're talking about, you know, 50 people are killed somewhere in DRC or, or this happened or there is displacement of, of 5,000 families uh, in a particular area. It's like people have found as if it's, it's normal, as if, oh yeah, of course it's DRC, you know, no surprise. Sometimes it will feel like the, the world no longer cares um, about the, the issues that are happening because it's been too much. Uh, the journalists are like, yeah, they killed 20 people in DRC. Nah, that can't make headlines. After all, they'll kill 20 other people tomorrow. Uh, but it's it's a conflict that has trapped people. So we've got people who have been trapped in this cycle of conflict. They're serving, I don't know, political and economic interests of people. They're not, it's not even helping the population themselves. It's nothing to do with them. Um, it's because of crumble of resources, crumble for control of mining, uh, of mining areas. Uh, we've got this situation where there is as well tribal conflict. Um, and so it's almost like a manipulation. We've got so many young people who are manipulated uh, to get into armed groups. Uh, it's like a divide and conquer, um, you know, strategy. And it has kept this country in, in so much chaos. I'm only 35 years old. Uh, so uh, if I'm talking about a, a conflict that started 25 years ago or more than 25 years ago, that means for most of my life, I've, I've lived in this chaos. Um, the, the war in 1996 was the first time I got displaced. Um, we had to run uh, with my family. Uh, there was a war that was going on. 
it hit the city of Goma, uh, where we were. Uh, we had to go in for three months or a little bit more than three months. Um, I was living, we were living out. Um, there was no humanitarian agency that was able to reach us where we were. There was nothing. We had to survive. Uh, we had to go and collect, um, you know, food from, from the forest, whatever wild fruits are there that are edible, uh, and, and just survive. Uh, we lived in uh, in a church uh, for, for that period of time. I still remember this church as if it was yesterday. Um, and, you know, having had an experience like that, it, it shapes, you know, you, you added how that has that shaped my life. It has changed my life. Um, I do the work I do, this, this work that TF Fund is doing. I'm not like a mercenary. I'm not here just because I'm getting paid to, 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 to do the work that we're doing. I'm here because it's close to my heart. I know what it feels like to be displaced. I know what it feels like to live in conflict. I know what it is like to be to be out there without any support. Um, I know what it is like to be to be given support and then to be at the same time uh, despised because of the support you are receiving or to not being respected. Uh, you know, to lose your dignity as you are receiving support. I know what it feels like. So when when I'm doing this work, I do it with a different mentality. Um, and I do it knowing, yeah, I, I know what these people are going through. If I meet some uh, some people who have been displaced, if I meet people who are suffering from poverty, who don't have, who don't know where their next meal will come from, who don't know whether they will survive the next day, I, I know what they're feeling because I've been there. And I know that when I was in a situation like that, I would have so much wanted to really have someone who would hold my hand at such a time such a time as that. And I think that really comes across in your work, Hebdavi, your passion and your deep understanding of what the people you serve are going through is what drives you, isn't it? Can you tell us then about what Tier Fund is doing in the DRC? What does work look like? Yes, we're doing a lot of work. There is a lot of work. A lot needs to be done, but we are doing, we're playing our part. We have been doing, first of all, there is the humanitarian response, uh, you know, with the alleviating suffering, immediate suffering. Uh, life-saving interventions uh, for people who have been displaced because of the conflict, uh, people who have lost their homes, have lost their houses. Uh, we provide water, we provide hygiene and sanitation, uh, training and equipment and materials. Uh, we, we do food security and livelihood activities. Uh, we do a lot of work um, in fighting uh, gender, sexual and gender-based violence um, in, in this country that has suffered that for, for, for many, many years. Um, so th there is that part where we are like doing the, the interventions uh, to help people, to save lives. But there is as well the, the other part where we are looking at, okay, if the immediate needs are met, then what's next? Can we help communities to be able to develop themselves, to be able to, to escape from this poverty that has trapped them um, in, in, into something? So we, we do something called church and community transformation. Uh, church and community transformation is an approach that TFN uses in, in other countries as well. Uh, but it's an approach where we really work with a community uh, for their transformation. We work together with them. And actually, most of the work is done by the community themselves. They are the ones who are pushing the agenda. They are the ones who are getting them. We're just there as sort of facilitators. We are just facilitating uh, for the community to, to embark on a journey of, of developing themselves with the church at the center of it. And, and that's, that's, the, that's the best part. That's actually the best part of, of all we do, seeing communities that are getting transformed with the church at the center of that transformation. 
uh, and, and they're having impact that will last in that community for ages and it will change the life of individuals in that community for forever. Incredible. Uh, thank you so much for that, uh, that insight. Um, I'm struck by your experience living in that church and, and surviving day to day as a displaced family. How does that shape your understanding of God? Uh, he provides for us. Um, we can have a hope and trust for tomorrow. That's easy to say, yeah. but pretty difficult to say <laughs> in that context. Has that shaped some of those, some of the ways you view God as your father or, or Jesus? Yes, um, actually it, it has. And when you live in a situation like that, you're you, you actually living that in practice. When God says uh, he will feed the birds uh, and, 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 and all that, you know, it's, it may seem like theories, but when you are in a situation of displacement, you realize that actually you are, you're, you're getting your food by miracle. Um, you're, getting, you're getting somewhere to sleep by miracle. You're living each day, you know, each day is by the day. You know, it's, it's today, okay, we've, we've survived for the day. Uh, we don't know what will happen tomorrow, but our Father in heaven will provide. For three months, we were there. No, no, again, again there was no, at, at that time in, in that particular area, there was no charity that was supporting. But our Father in heaven, we were completely reliant on our Father in heaven to provide for us day by day. So even if we're in a situation where, you know, you are in displacement and you are, it's not a great, it's not a great place to be. But in the midst of experiencing that, you also experience God in, in new ways. You experience his provision because you are completely dependent on him. It's one thing to be in a situation, you know, there is someone who is going to help, the government is going to support, they'll take care of me. After all, I used to pay my taxes. You know, they have a responsibility. It's one thing to know you have someone that you can rely on. It's another experience to be in a situation where the only person you can rely on is God. There is no one else. And then he's faithful. He comes through. You, you can look at it from the dimension of saying, God, how can you let this happen? You can also look at it from the dimension of saying, God, this has happened, but you've seen me through. I've survived this. You've provided each and every day you have provided. And thank you, Lord. You are really our Father in heaven. Wow, thank you for that. Hedavi, you've said a couple of times in the last few months, uh, when we pray, there is always impact. Uh, and you've shared it with the Tear Fund family as, a, as an encouragement to pray for you and to pray for our teams. Have you seen that in action? Is that true? We've really seen prayer work. Now, I'm, I don't know about you, Chris, but I'm a believer in miracles. I believe in miracles. I see miracles happening every day in, in the work that we're doing in my life. I see the miracles. We go through areas that are difficult, that are complicated, um, or something happens right in front of us. And somehow God makes sure that you're just a few minutes late so that you don't fall into an ambush or you just go through and then the next thing, boom, something something happens. One one of the things that I can give as an example, there is this Ebola epidemic and uh, TFN was intervening. Um, and there is a particular experience we had. We're working with faith leaders so that they could help and get involved and be agents of, of change and transformation as far as Ebola is concerned, passing messages, uh, making sure people are aware, creating awareness, making sure people know how to prevent um, this, this disease. And there was a particular event that was a very significant event um, the faith leaders invited other community leaders um, and they were working together and they had spent a couple of days together discussing and making sure they understand what's this virus. 
uh, at the end of, of the, the about three days of, of workshop and reflection, they were supposed to do a public event, which was supposed to be a big event in a stadium um, in one of the epicenters of, of Ebola, um, and where they were going to make strong statements and people had come and they wanted to really pass uh, a strong message to the communities. The impact from that symposium was, was huge because there was a complete change um, in, in the mentality and the views of the people. However, as they were about to start, everybody is set, the ceremony is about to begin, the sky decided to turn gray and then turn black. It was about to rain to pour, like it was like heavy rain. You know, when you see something, you look at the sky, you're like, oh, suddenly this is heavy rain. Uh, and, and people are panicking and people are like, yeah, we need to go. And, and this event will just collapse. The faith leaders joined together and they prayed. And believe you me, Chris, the sky cleared. The sky cleared, the meeting happened. Amen. That's a miracle. That's prayer, in, like you see prayer in action. But we have seen as well where we are doing something, we are intervening in a community and we, we have been sitting and praying with our beneficiaries. Some of them may be, may be sick and they get healed through prayer. Some of them may have other issues and we are praying for them. We're praying for their security, praying for their safety, and we see them coming out safe and we see them getting healed. So we've really seen and experienced and we continue every day to experience the power of prayer. I love that. And um, Debbie, you're also part of your local church. You're actively involved there. Um, can you tell us about what that's like for you? And then in general, how is the church in the DRC, particularly at this moment in time? Um, the, the church in DRC is, is a model. You know, um, they, they are a model. They've gone through a lot, uh, definitely. Uh, they've been crippled in many ways. People come with very difficult questions. I, I pity the, 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 the faith leaders in, in DRC, you know, with all the difficult questions that they have to answer when people are say, telling them that, why, how can this happen? How could God allow this to happen? At the same time, World Bank and, and, and even other institutions, they've done research on this and said, in DRC, the most trusted institution is the church. People don't have as much confidence in the government or in any other institution than they do with their church, with their faith leaders. They trust their faith leaders. They trust their faith leaders because the faith leaders have been there. They've been with them through it all. They may not be able to solve all the world problems or all the Congolese problems, but they've been there holding the hands of the people when in whatever situation they're facing. And, and the church has, has therefore been at the center of, of everything. And you know that the church uh, in DRC, it's not about the building. Uh, you, you may find, well, if you are in the capital city in Kinshasa or maybe a few in Goma, you'll find a cathedral maybe or something like that. And then you go in the deep, deep rural areas, you'll find people maybe meeting under a tree. You know, it's not about the building. They may be under a tree. That's where they, 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 they meet together. Uh, but be it in a cathedral or be it under a tree, you really see God in action through the church and, and, and they, they, they are supporting their, community, their, their communities in, in wonderful ways. My, my church in Goma, where you know, I've been attending that church for nearly 15 years now, uh, it's, it's a church that is uh, packed with young people. It is really one of the churches in Goma that is like a youth church. Uh, and, and whenever I, I enjoy getting involved there, because when I look at the young people, it gives me hope. I looked at the young people and I said, yes, this is the future. And the future is looking brighter. 
So I actually get encouraged. Sometimes even when I'm low, I go to my church and, and see all the young people and see all the energy they've got. So I'm encouraged uh, by, by my church and, and, and the, the youthfulness and the energy that is there. I'm just like, this energy just needs to be channeled towards good. And, and that's the role of the church, to channel all that energy of all these young people for good. Because these young people could also, that energy could be channeled and it has been used, it has been abused uh, by manipulators and, and young people have gone into armed groups and committed atrocities. And I praise God when I see young people and my church has more than, um, we have more than 3,000 members, like 90% under 35. Like, yeah, I, I thank God that these ones are, are praising you, Lord. Oh, it's wonderful to listen. I'm just smiling away your passion um, for the future of the DRC and for the church is, is wonderful to listen to. Um, Davi, for Tier Fund staff like yourself, often the context or the crisis you're working with affects you and your family as well as, as the people that you're working with. Uh, for other countries, maybe if there's genocide survivors and there's work on the ground with them, that's something that has impacted the worker uh, and their family as well. So whatever it is, and I'm struck by, for here in Northern Ireland, maybe for the first time or maybe in a, a unique way, COVID has impacted not just the, the people we love, but also each of us individually in our families. I guess my question is, what have you learned about, about leading yourself th through your process that you are also grieving and you're trying to care for those that are impacted? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been the, the story of my life, and not only my life, the story of my, um, my colleagues as well. It's, it's our calling to go and, and help, and yet we are also affected, either directly or indirectly. When there was the Ebola epidemic in, in DRC, I had uh, many staff members, including myself, who were directly impacted. We lost family members, close, close relatives to the epidemic. So, so it's, it's really something that gets very close to you. And... Uh, we try to create a support system. And something that I've seen as well with our faith leaders during the volcanic eruption and in other um, crises that have happened in DRC and the church has come in, the church is coming together, churches reuniting, forgetting about denominations, forgetting about whether I'm Catholic or Protestant, whatever the name of the church, we are all following Jesus. We have the same goal. We have the same objective putting our differences aside and supporting each other, holding each other's hands and saying, we need to get through this together. And when we've brought faith leaders together, where they actually have a way where they can do the peer support, where they can actually, you can also go to another, to a fellow um, you know, faith leader and be like, hey, I'm also facing this. And then you can pray and they'll tell you, I'm also facing this. And you'll realize, oh, I'm not alone in this. He's also facing this situation. And maybe you can learn something from him and he can learn something from you. And, and together you can pray for each other and have a support system amongst yourselves. Uh, the, the volcanic eruption happened and churches opened their doors. And it was not about opening, opening your doors only to people of your denomination. You know, we just need to support each other here. And that has an impact on people. And it's, it's such a huge, huge, uh, a huge, huge blessing. At least for me personally, something that has been encouraging me is the story of Esther. Now, Esther in the Bible is, is this woman, uh, the queen, uh, who was, she lived at a time where there was chaos that happened. And uh, the, 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 the uncle came and said, well, we are facing this situation. Can you be able to help? They're going to kill us all. And she was hesitant. 
And then the uncle said something that was very interesting. He was, she, the uncle was like, Esther, you know, what if you were put in that palace for such a time as this? You are there for such a time as this to be able to support. Yes, there is chaos. There is, there is chaos. We are going to get killed. There is a crisis. But Esther, God wanted you to be the queen at such a time as this. If you don't do anything, we will still somehow survive. God will use some other ways to save us, probably, you know. But then you will, you will have missed your opportunity to be used by God. And I always consider myself to be an Esther. And I consider my colleagues in Tear Fund and the faith leaders that we are working with. I say we are, we are all Esthers. And God has put us in Eastern DRC at such a time as this for a purpose. And we better accomplish that purpose for which God put us in Eastern DRC for, just for such a time as this. Yes, there is crisis. The Jews are about to be all you know, to be killed. There is a crisis. There is COVID. There is conflict. On top of COVID, there is Ebola. On top of COVID and Ebola, there is a volcanic eruption. And there is that. And there is armed conflict. And there is a new armed group that has just been created. And there is all these things happening. But in the midst of all that chaos and all that crisis, God has set us at such a time as this to be able to help, to be able to support the people. And we better play our role. That's a really helpful uh, thought to, to leave us with. Um, Hibdavi, we've touched a bit on conflict and obviously in Northern Ireland, we have our own experience. They're different in so many ways. Every experience is unique, but we have our own experience of coming through conflict and lots of people listening will have been personally impacted by that in various ways. Um, the church has a role to play in helping a society move out of conflict in terms of stimulating forgiveness, modeling forgiveness, um, supporting reconciliation. How has that played out in DRC? Uh, does the church take that role uh, well? Uh, has it been a challenge over even just recently? Yes. Um, yes, that's that's something where the church is very influential and has had impact. The conflict in DRC um, is a conflict that sometimes, like I said, uh, as, we were, as we were beginning, uh, sometimes it takes a, a tribalistic or a, an ethnic uh, term. I've seen faith leaders who have lost even their spouses. Your spouse has been killed uh, in an ethnic conflict. So because she was the wrong tribe, she was killed by another tribe. And yet you need to be the pastor of all. In your church, there needs to be the people from that community that killed your spouse. You still need to be their pastor. And, and that's that's another level. I've seen this in DRC, and I've seen it in Rwanda as well with the, with the genocide, uh, with the Rwandan genocide survivors, where I've seen really this forgiveness in action, and especially with faith leaders. And it speaks a lot that you have the church, which is bringing people together, communities together, and people are forgiving each other. People are, are able to say, forgive me. And even if the person did not say, forgive me, you still forgive them anyway, because, you know, <laughs> God forgives us even, even before we ask for it, you know. Two communities that were enemies before, they come together through the church and they hug each other. Two communities or two tribes that were killing each other, they come together through the church. They hug each other. That's, that's brilliant. I always remember um, one, one event. I actually, uh, we were with, with David McAllister. You, you know David McAllister, Christian. There was this uh, peace building initiative, and there was this conference, different faith leaders, different community leaders are coming together. And David spoke to speak, and he was like, guys, he, he cut himself, which was like, David, you're really brave. 
I was like, I'm never doing that. Thank you very much. But he cut himself and just, you know, just a little wound and he was showing the blood and he was like, which color is this? It's red and your blood is red and your blood is red and your blood is red. We are all one in Christ. At the end of the day, forget about the color of your skin. Uh, and if it's not the color of the skin, maybe it's the texture. In, in our context, it's it's one tribe that has people who are taller and others are skinnier or others are shorter and, and, and so forth. You're like, forget about the tall, the short, the, the, the light-skinned, uh, the, the darker one, and or the or even if I'm white. At the end of the day, we are all one in Christ. Can we stop fighting each other? And realizing that actually we are stronger together. And, and God loves diversity. I really think God loves diversity. He enjoys the diversity when he sees different people from different colors, different tribes, different, you know, all, from all over the world. He, he, I think he enjoys that. He loves that. And he takes pleasure in that. It's just, I mean, we could talk about this for days, couldn't we? But it's such a powerful message for us yeah. around the world, including in our own context here. I think our, yeah, our listeners will be so challenged by what you've just shared. Um, I've got one last question and we'll land on hope uh, at the end of the interview. But just before I get to that, I'm just, I'm just wondering, you're 35, you told us. So you're old in your church, but you're very young in the rest of the world and particularly to be in such a position of leadership. So can you tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are and maybe what your practices are in terms of mentoring younger leaders coming up after you and being mentored yourself by older leaders? Um, indeed, I've, I've benefited so much from uh, from mentoring from other uh, from other people to get where I am. Uh, but in the midst of all that, um, and, and forgetting all that, actually, the, the very first thing and the most important thing is the grace of God. Um, I've seen God's grace throughout my life, uh, from my childhood all the way to to, to now, and it, throughout, I've seen God and, and His grace accompanying me. Um, I had the privilege of, of continuing with school despite everything, despite all the odds, um, and, and through it all, God has been has been gracious. But as well, he has used people around me. Uh, he's used people around me to, to mentor me, to support me, to, to, to be good examples for me. And because I've had that, because I've had people who I've looked up to, um, I also really feel the responsibility. That's one of the reasons that I'm in a, in a church full of youth, because I think I also have to sort of pay back my debts. Um, I was helped. Uh, I was supported to get where I am today. I also need to support other young leaders and really being um, an example of hope because I had hope and I kept pushing because there are people that I could look up to and say, yes, that there is hope. And I also want to be a hope to other young people and being like, there is hope. Uh, there is hope for us. Uh, we, we can, we, you know, we, we, we can do differently. There is a, a couple of young people in my, my church that are looking up to me. It's also a responsibility that I have. And I pray that God may help me to continue being a model to them um, and really showing them the way uh, and, and just pouring out what, what I know, um, learning from them as well at, at the same time. Everybody has something to teach. Um, and if we are open, we can always learn from each other. No matter, it doesn't matter the age. I really pray uh, for a better DRC and I believe there will be a better DRC. And if I can influence that, you know, one person at a time will be getting transformed then that's, that's, that's brilliant. And I thank God every day for that opportunity. 
That's fantastic. What a witness. Um, so let's end on hope then. You know the story about the starfish who are stranded on the beach and you go and you get one and you throw it back in the sea. And it is yeah. meant to be an encouraging story. We do hear it a lot in our charity context, but it's not that encouraging, is it? Because there's an awful lot of starfish stranded on the beach. So when facing all of the challenges in the DRC, how do you keep your hope up with all of this? Yeah, I think, well, I, I actually, you know, I know the, the, the story of the starfish is, um, yeah, there is sadness in it, uh, but you know, I, I look at it with uh, with a mentality of, of a glass half full, really, uh, and saying, well, yes, um, I think I'm like a boy in, in in that story where I really rejoice uh, if I can make a difference in the life of one starfish at a time, you know, because I've seen in the work that we're doing um, with Tierfan in DRC that over the years there are millions of lives that we are saving. We're saving one at a time, you know, one at a time, one at a time, one at a time. But as you put all the years together, uh, you see all, all the hope that you've brought and, and all the change that you've brought, all the transformation that you've brought in people's lives. And you're like, yes, it's worth it. One starfish um, at a time. Now, I, I, I know that I will not end poverty. Probably by the time I die, there will still be poverty in DRC. But even if there will still be poverty in DRC, I will have contributed to alleviating the suffering of someone. And I love the story of, of uh, the, 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 the Good Samaritan in the Bible. The Good Samaritan found one person who had been stranded. He had been beaten up by, by, by thugs, and he's you know, lying there on the side of the road half dead. And the Good Samaritan saved this one person. And Jesus thought that it was a story worth telling of somebody who saved one. He did not save the whole, you know, he did not save many people. It's not 10 people. It's not a million people. He did not finish all the banditry that was happening on that road and, and, and you know, clear it and bring, suddenly there is peace and nobody will ever get hurt on this road again and all that. No, no, no. He just saved the one person. And Jesus said, that's a story worth telling. I'm going to tell that story. As well, there is um, something in Luke 15. I think it's Luke 15, where the Bible is talking about one person gets saved there is a celebration in heaven. Now you could say, if one person is getting saved, there is still millions of other people who are not yet saved. Why are you celebrating this one person? And, and what, what for me really, um, my, my strategy is really, I celebrate the one who got saved. I celebrate the one whose suffering has been alleviated. And, and I'm good with that. Oh, that's wonderful. We've talked before on the podcast about it can be easy to despair and yet we hold on to this hope. And that's been really helpful, even just for me. And I hope for the listeners too, to, to, to be reminded of the one, I think. Mm -hmm. And even for us as, as people involved in church life here and church witness here in Northern Ireland, to think about the impact on the one on our doorstep, and maybe before we get carried away and think of, of the larger impact as well. Um, Thank you so much. It's been a wonderful blessing uh, for us to be with you for this little bit of time. And we really appreciate uh, you, sh you sharing your time with us. So um, be blessed. And uh, maybe we'll hear from you again another time on the podcast. Wow, what a wonderful conversation, Gemma. Mm. Can you distill that into a highlight for us? Yeah, I think um, 
I think that was such a rich conversation. I actually want to go back over it and listen to it again. But a couple of things, I think one personal and then one sort of more societal. The personal one is when Havdavi is talking about his traumatic experience um, of living day to day and having fled violence and lost his father in the middle of it and not knowing where his next meal is coming from. He talks about experiencing God in a different way and probably most of us will not experience what Hadavi has experienced, but most of us, all of us, um, will experience or have experienced challenges. And so framing those challenges almost as an invitation to experience God in a different way and know him as provider or protector or comforter in a different way than what we have experienced him as before, I think is just, I just think that's so powerful. Um, And then I think the societal one, is when he talked about all the churches working together, coming together in the DRC um, to to help address what is going on there. Um, Just imagining how powerful a witness that is in the country because there is so much division, so much tribal conflict. Um, And just, I suppose I'm relating that back to to our situation here in Northern Ireland and the potential that we have as churches to come together, to work together, to address our issues, whether they're small or big in our communities. Um, and, and again, what a powerful witness that can be to the people around us. What were your takeaways? Oh, I just loved it. Uh, that was brilliant. I think my question about, about the starfish and um, about that balance between hope and despair and yeah. the need is just so, so vast. And we talked about the numbers at the start. Uh, I think that was helpful for me, and uh, and I think even for for listeners in in a local church context, there's so much need, both physical, and we we see that more and more this winter. Yeah, and then also the spiritual need. We live in a world where we see that people are unconcerned with Jesus, and there's a vast spiritual need out there, and. And I guess the the starfish or Habdabi's response to that is, well, what can I do for my neighbour? Mm-hmm. Um, what can I? What's what's my invitation to the one person in terms of both spiritual and physical? Um, and maybe that's all God asks of me is the responsibility for for my neighbour or those within my circle. Yeah. Um, and maybe some of us are are given a job of thinking larger scale, but many of us, I think, uh, the one is enough. Yeah, I think so often we get, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but maybe in our roles in particular, we get caught up in thinking about, well, what is the solution to just end this all at once? And obviously we need to be thinking that way. But yeah, I mean, for, for someone like Kib Davi, he has such responsibility for such a large number of people to be able to say it is just about the one starting with the one, then we can take that, can't we? So Chris, for people who've been listening today and maybe want to carry on this conversation, how can they do that? Yeah, uh, so Tierfan really believes strongly that the partnership with the global church uh, ought to inform, inspire, and actually change our practice locally as churches. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is just a little taster of that. But actually, we love we love whenever we can facilitate those conversations in a more um, in-person way. We can just lift and energize our spirits as we sit on a Zoom call, you know, every six weeks or every two months with brothers and sisters who lead churches just like our churches and chat through some of the context and challenges and we've seen little groups like that grow up spring up around the UK and they are just incredible places to be in 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I'd love to see some some listeners that say that's something they'd like to be part of. Mm-hmm. Fantastic. So if that is you, then please contact us through our social media channels or just send us an email at ni at tierfund.org. And we will be back with another episode. Chris, what are we talking about then? We have a cracking interview scheduled for um, a lady called Ulan. Uh, she is from Nigeria and heads up an amazing youth-led environmental innovation project uh, that seeks to partnership with the church, transform not just her community, but actually the whole of Nigeria. And mm-hmm. uh, she's infectious with her passion. So I'm excited about you hearing that one. Yes, so excited to share that interview with you. Thank you so much for being with us today. We hope that you have benefited by listening um, and we'd love to hear from you. So again, do get in touch with any feedback you have. Mm-hmm.